So our text we're going to look at today is Mark 11. We're starting verse 1, and it says this. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied it at a doorway. So they untied it. Some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread their branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. (laughs) Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. Let me read those, just those words right there again. Hosanna. Hosanna, which means save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Today is Palm Sunday. And today, throughout the world, people are reading this passage. They're reflecting on this together. They're saying these words together all around the world. People saying together, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You know, it is rare at different times to realize that the church comes together as one voice. We don't see that very often in our world, but today we do. People gathered around the world on Palm Sunday, reading these words together. And today is so important. It's so easy to lose our focus, to begin to think about what comes ahead, to begin to think about Easter. Today, strategically, as I looked at all of our social media and the things we have, I placed Palm Sunday front and center, right on the banner, right on the main, because today is the focus. We don't want to rush off to Easter, and I repeat this, and I say this almost every year as I talk about this, is that it's easy to get here to today and to just move right on to Easter and to miss the journey, to miss the walk, to miss traveling with Jesus and the disciples through this week, a week that is filled with twists and turns. Uh, In the moment for them, though we know the end of the story, they would have experienced this as plot twists, as tragedy, as change. They would have experienced everything that had gone on through the story, the twists and turns of celebration to rejection to suffering to forgiveness, a story of life and death and resurrection. And when we just rush to the end of the story, we miss the rest of the story. And we miss the meaning of what happens at the end. We miss why Friday is important. We miss why Saturday matters. We miss the power of that resurrection on moment that takes place on Sunday and why it is so important. As we walk through this week, each day we're invited to journey with Jesus. 
to journey with his disciples and his followers as they experienced his, the last days that they had with him. And as we look towards the end of the week, we know what's coming. We see a cross. We see a tomb. But today here, in this moment, we see people celebrating, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I love tension. I love finding places in the scripture where we find tension. And I, I say this word all the time, and sometimes people laugh about it, but I think it's a meaningful word for a lot of us, is I always say to lean into the tension when you find it, because in there is where we often learn the most. So the question that I had as I came to this scripture, the question I had as I thought about what do I want to talk about on Palm Sunday that helps us think about Easter is, how did we get there? How do we get from a people celebrating our road, celebrating Jesus walking in and, or riding on this donkey into Jerusalem, celebrating, shouting Hosanna, how did we get to that and how do we get to the place where just mere days later they're saying crucify him? Just days later people who were celebrating are either yelling crucify him or are mourning his death. How did we get from here to there? How does a story that starts with so much hope and celebration find its way to despair and to sadness before reigniting a hope on Sunday, a hope that never fades? How did we get from here to there? As we ask that question, we come to two very different groups of people that were standing near that road that day. And in those people... As we look at them today, we see ourselves. We see our hopes and our desires. But we also, if we look closely at these two groups of people, we see misunderstanding and we see sin. So I first want us to imagine the crowds as they worshiped. The palm branches. The cries of people shouting Hosanna as Jesus entered the city. The word that is used often to describe the scene is triumphant. It's a word that pictures a victory in battle. And this is how the people felt. For many of the people living and visiting Jerusalem that day and that week, they knew the stories of being conquered. Rome was just, as I've, I've, I've talked about this and we've, we've explored this before, the Romans who were now in power were just another one of many conquering armies in a long line of conquerors. So many of the people that were cheering in the streets that day, they saw Jesus as a king who would rescue them, who would liberate them, who would save them. And connected to that is this ancient belief that they had about a Messiah who would come to save them. So when they say, Hosanna, and then they say, they say, who comes in the name of the Lord, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They are connecting this back to an ancient story that had been told for generations about a king who would come and would save his people. And so as the people looked at that, they saw him coming. They said, here is our king coming to save us. And they imagined this kingdom is coming right here and right now, pushing the Roman conquerors off and setting up Jesus as their final true king. But there was another group of people there that day. And they were distraught at the reaction of the crowds. This group didn't see Jesus as a savior. They saw Jesus as a threat. 
We see this in Mark 11, if we just go forward in the story just a little bit here. Mark eleven fifteen through 18 says this, on reaching Jerusalem, so you imagine the crowds as they're walking, as they're coming into this, into this place. They, you, you, you see this moment as Jesus asks his disciples to go and get this colt. I, I love this story, actually, as we go back to it, because we see these people, they say, uh, excuse me, what, what are you doing? Uh, why are you untying that colt? Like, I just love the humanity of this. Sometimes I think we miss this, that these disciples walk up, they go to this house, they begin to untie somebody else's horse. And the person opens the door, they look out, and they go, uh, excuse me, that's my colt. I sort of imagine somebody coming to my house, and they open up the car, they open up my Jeep, and they get in my Jeep, they start the engine, and I walk outside, and I go, uh, excuse me, that's my Jeep. And I love that the answer, they just look at the people, and they just say, well, uh, sorry, uh, we, we just were just doing what Jesus told us to. He said there would be a colt here, we're supposed to take it. And I love that the people's response is they just go, oh, okay, cool. So I don't know if they had to explain a little bit more. I don't know if Mark is just sort of being succinct and he's like, I'm not going to put all that in there. But you see these people who just kind of go along with the story. They, they, they take the story, they hear it, they say, okay, so Jesus needs this. That's great, let's go. They say, he must be the Messiah. We'll walk with you. Maybe they got with the disciples, they walked with the disciples. They said, we'll go with you to Jesus. We'll take the cult there ourselves. I don't know. But what I know is they were along for the ride in the story, along for the ride for the celebration. They were excited about what was taking place. So let's go on and let's see what happens with this other group of people. On reaching Jerusalem, so he gets there, Jesus entered the temple courts. He began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When they say the whole crowd is amazed at his teaching, I think it encompasses all that Jesus had said over those three years. A few months ago, we looked at as Jesus began to talk about his teaching. And if you remember, at first there were people who were amazed at what he had to say. Amazed that when he said, hey, all people are here to hear this good news. And he says the same here. He says, this will be called, this will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus says here the same thing he said at the very beginning. He said, it is good news for everyone. And we remember as we look at that story that a group of people turned and said, ah, not for us. If it's good news for everybody, it's not good news for us then. And they rejected Jesus. Now we see the same thing happening here. Jesus says, this house will be called house of prayer for all nations. The whole crowd was amazed at this teaching. This is good news for everybody. And then we see these chief priests, these teachers of the law, they heard this, and they began to look for a way to kill him. Just like that first crowd when Jesus first said and began to share the good news. Now, so who are these people? Why are they so different? Why are they viewing this story in such a different way than the other people celebrating at the side of the road. 
The chief priests and the teachers of the law feared Jesus because he was a threat. He was a threat to the status quo. He was a threat to their power. As we dig in, as we research, as we begin to understand these people, we see that the Romans had allowed these teachers, these chief priests, to run the city, but under one caveat, as long as they kept the peace. If they kept the status quo, if they kept things normal, if they kept the status quo that was in place, if they didn't cause any kind of ruckus, then they, they could keep power in this city. Now, the problem is that there had been some revolutionaries. There had been revolutionaries just before Jesus comes on the scene who had tried to overthrow the rule of the Romans. So these chief priests, these teachers of the law, they look at what Jesus is saying. They they hear the crowd chanting, save us, this coming king. He's going to save us from this experience that we have. And Jesus to them is just another revolutionary. He needs to stop talking about his kingdom. A kingdom they didn't fully understand. A kingdom that they didn't pay attention to. A kingdom that they didn't listen to what Jesus was teaching. They missed what he was saying and they didn't understand it. So they said, he just needs to stop talking. We just need to get rid of him. He's a threat to the status quo. He's a threat to our power. Then they use this to put fear in the hearts of the same people who cheered for Jesus. And then by the end of the week, they convinced the crowds that Jesus wasn't this Messiah that they wanted. And their shouts went from Hosanna to crucify him. Sometimes I wish that there was an entire chapter on how they convinced these people that Jesus was their Messiah and convinced these people that were shouting Hosanna, how did they convince them to just mere days later shout crucify him? But I don't know that we need a whole chapter to do that. I I, I don't know that we need a whole chapter to get to that point. I don't know that that's necessary because all of us know about fear. All of us know about the fear of status quo. All of us know when there is a threat to our power and our control, it's easy to convince us that maybe we should be thinking otherwise. Maybe we shouldn't listen. Maybe we should ignore what is coming. Now, here's what I want us to see because we're exploring the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed points to this reality as we come to a clause that reminds us that Jesus suffered, that he was crucified, died, and was buried. But it does so with a qualifier, reminding us that Jesus' death was the result of the rejection of Jesus and an embrace of sin and death. Now, I want to say that again because this is what I want to explore with the rest of the time that we have this morning. The Apostles' Creed points to this tension that we see here. This tension that caused a group of people to go from saying Hosanna to saying crucify him. A group of people convinced by other people that said Jesus is a threat to our power. He's a threat to the status quo. We don't agree with his kingdom. We're going to go against his kingdom. And the Apostles' Creed points to all of this. Jesus' death was a result of that rejection. Listen to this clause as we read it. 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now we come to this part. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. I was talking to a really good friend this week, and he was asking me some questions about, you know, sometimes I read scripture and I try to understand things, or I, 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 I try to understand what's being said, and, and you know, how, how, do I, how do I figure out deeper understandings of a text? Where do I begin with that? And I told him the best place you can always start with is questions. Be, begin with a question. And the best question you can ask is, why is that there? If something seems odd, something seems strange, something you look at, you, you know, that you would normally skip over and say, I don't know how to pronounce the name, so I'm just going to skip over it. I'm just going to move on to the next thing. You say, no, 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 there must be there for a reason because it would have been easier for the author to skip that. So I'm going to start there and go, why is this here? What is this doing in this spot? And that's the first thing I thought about as I opened up my sermon this week. I, I popped the Apostles' Creed onto my document. It was the only thing that was there. And I read this, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Why is that there? The names we find in the Apostles' Creed are ones that we expect. The rest of them I expect to see. Oh, there's God. I would expect to see God in the Apostles' Creed. We find Jesus. We find the Holy Spirit. I expect to find those words here. Last week, after exploring and seeing it, now I understand the incredible significance of the point of the phrase Virgin Mary that points out who Mary is. Now I understand why that's there. But let's be honest. At a first glance, if we were just looking at this, Pontius Pilate just seems odd and unnecessary. Who cares about this guy? There's about a chapter to him. There's all kinds of other people you would expect to be in here. Where are all the disciples? Where are the people that Jesus cared for? Where are all his friends? Why does it have Pontius Pilate? Why can't it just say, Jesus suffered, he was crucified, died, and was buried? But with what we've already looked at this morning, we can start to understand and see why this matters. And this is what I don't want us to miss today. I'm going to read this in my notes because I want to read this as clearly as I can this morning. There is a popular theology that invites us to believe that it was God that killed Jesus. But the Apostles' Creed in this one small statement, invites us to orthodoxy or right belief that it was humanity that did. And the reason that this matters goes back to to the whole point of the series and something that I've been focusing on this entire series, that our orthodoxy or our right beliefs lead us to what we call orthopraxy or the living out of our faith in the right way. I love the Apostles' Creed for this reason, that it invites us to get back to the simple beliefs of our faith. As my friend Greg likes to say, It's all Jesus and nothing else. It's so easy sometimes to add all of these extra things to our faith. 
And some people would say, well, a creed, isn't that just all sorts of extra stuff? No, that's the point. The point is that Christians for over 1,500 years have used this to remind them of the main thing that is the main thing, and that is Jesus. That at the center of this creed is, who is Jesus? Why do I explore the way of Jesus? How does the way of Jesus teach me to love God, love others? What is going on here? That's the point of this whole thing. It brings us back to Jesus and a correct belief and an understanding of Jesus. And so at the center of Jesus' life is his death. We have his birth, we have his life, we have his teaching, we have his death, we have his resurrection, and we have the reality of Jesus existing with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the pivotal moment in all of that is this cross and this tomb. And how does Jesus get there and why does that matter? I'm passionate about this because I think we have to get this right because it helps us develop our faith and understand things in a much more clear way. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Let's go back to Mark. Let's learn about Pilate, very short chapter, and why it matters that Jesus suffered under him, as it says. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans So they bound Jesus. They led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things that they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. I I love that Mark is really clear here and tells us, hey, there's another revolutionary, a revolutionary who worked to overthrow the power of the Romans. So now we've got two of them right here. And he says, listen, a man called Barabbas was in prison. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do For them, what he usually did. Verse 9, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. As I wrote this down in my notes, I tried to figure out how to say this as clear as I possibly could. It's at the cross that Jesus took the full brunt of our sin. And hear me say this, we see here because of it, not for it. 
There is no doubt about that. And that may sound strange. That may sound a little weird. That may sound like that sounds counterintuitive to how we've looked at things before. But I want you to hear this because I think this is why the creed points us to this to see. Jesus died because of our sin. The cross shows how destructive humanity can be when we don't accept God's invitation to be who created us to be, to be people of love and grace and mercy. For three years, for three years, people followed Jesus as he shared the kingdom of God. But when finally push came to shove, people were given the opportunity to choose the radical way that Jesus taught. They chose to crucify him instead. There are two revolutionaries, Jesus and Barabbas. Two. And the chief priests say, which one, which one do we want to make sure gets crucified here? That one. Because it wasn't just because of the understanding that he was some kind of revolutionary. No, no, no. They used that because they couldn't agree with the good news that he shared. The rest of his teaching was so radical and so against the status quo, pushed so far against their power and our power as humans that when you're given a choice to choose grace, love, and mercy and following the way of Jesus, it becomes more popular to choose a different way of life. I'd rather do it on my own. I'd rather have my own power. I'd rather have my own control. I am not going to be a person of grace and love and mercy. I am not going to be a person who looks at people and says, I can love all of these people because God loves everyone. No, I'd rather discriminate. I'd rather hate. I'd rather choose violence and death. And that is the brunt of the sin that came up against Jesus. The Apostles' Creed is a reminder of this story. And our affirmation that Jesus suffered and that he suffered at the hands of a humanity that rejected Jesus. The Sanhedrin that they talk about in here, the religious leaders and the teachers, convinced the crowd, reject Jesus. But now this is where it gets interesting. Their guilty verdict was the extent of their authority. So they turned to the Romans. And that's who Pontius Pilate represents. He had the only authority to crucify Jesus. So what happens? A union between religion and government became the vehicle for the violent temptation placed before the crowd. In the book of Acts, a man named Stephen stood defiantly before this Sanhedrin. At that moment, he placed the guilt of Jesus' death at the feet of humanity and the feet of them. He said this, Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteousness. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. 
Now, sometimes I think when we come to the cross, and it's interesting because I've talked a little bit about this before in church, and I've, I've mentioned this before, and I've said Jesus was murdered at the cross, and it causes people to kind of go, whoa, wait a minute. People kind of back up on that, and then I say, I'm not making that up. It's right here. Stephen, as he's standing before the Sanhedrin, uses the word. He said, Jesus was murdered at the cross. Sin put Jesus on the cross. But the power of the story doesn't end there. And I'm not talking about Easter. Next week, we will talk about the incredible moment of the resurrection, the empty tomb, what it means for our lives, and how God takes this and redeems it. But the story begins right here. So let's stay focused on the cross for just these final moments. In Luke 22, 33 through 34, listen what it says. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Now listen to what Jesus said. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus' death on the cross was a crowd-demanded, state-sponsored execution that revealed the total depravity of sin. An innocent man, the very Son of God, was crucified, suffered, and died. The violent retribution sought by some would be experienced by all. This is why when we think on the cross, when we look to the cross, there's an old song that talks about the old rugged cross. And the point is that when we look at that, there is something within us that causes us to mourn. There is something within us that causes us to recognize the pain and the suffering and the hurt of the cross. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. There should be a tension there, but it's because there we recognize an innocent person faced the, the darkest nastiest reality of the sin of humanity. But humanity doesn't end there. And this brings us back to the Apostles' Creed. Because we are reminded in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. That it says that because it reminds us of the dichotomy of the sinful ways of humanity in the holy ways of God. This is why the cross is so pivotal. And this is why this is here to remind us that at the cross we see the ugliness of sin 
The sin of humanity that places Jesus on the cross. But at the cross, we see God utilizing this to reveal his incredible holy ways. That is what we find at the cross. The cross shows us what we can be like. You say that again. Hear me on this. The cross shows us what we can be like. It is easy to look at that crowd and think about one big crowd, but then you realize that crowd is made up of individual people who rejected the way of Jesus. And every day we are invited to reject the way of Jesus or to follow the way of Jesus. And if we believe that somehow that our rejection or our acceptance of the way of Jesus, maybe it doesn't make that big of a deal. It does make a huge deal when you realize that your acceptance of the way of Jesus is inviting the kingdom of God into this world, in your circle of influence, in the impact that you have and the people around you. Heaven needs to be found in your home, within your circle of influence, around your neighbors. That makes a huge impact on this world. In your rejection of that, choosing to not follow the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus, what does that cause around you? I just heard something last night in a show that Jill and I were watching. And this person said this statement that just blew my mind. And they said, the reason that hell is so frightening is that, um, that, that humans can imagine it and anything they can imagine, they can bring to reality today. Let that sink in. And let us see the reality is that that is what Jesus talked about. When Jesus talked about hell, he talked about that as a here and now reality. When he talked about heaven, he talked about that as a here and now reality. Don't get so focused on where you're going. Get focused on what's happening right here today. Jesus sought to bring his kingdom to this world. And it was rejected. And it was rejected with incredible violence because that is the only way to reject something so beautiful. The violence part of the cross was entirely human. But now see this. The forgiveness part of the cross was fully divine. The cross shows us that God's way to peace is not by killing anyone, but by forgiving everyone. It shames our way of violence, and it reveals a kingdom of love and grace and mercy in a way that nobody planned for, in a way that would never be silenced again. At the cross, God made a final judgment on our sin. The way of death and violence is not the answer. And as we're going to see next Sunday, he revealed this as the one who took our sin, rose again, and showed us that death as a result of sin would never be the final word. And the cross would never again be a symbol of sin, but a symbol of forgiveness and of love. 
And that is why it matters that we say that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Because it reveals to us what happens when we reject the way of Jesus and it reminds us of God's forgiveness and his love and says, come home and experience the power of his kingdom. Let's pray. God, as we come to this moment, to this day, this is the beginning. This is the beginning of our time to focus and to reflect. During this week, Father, we ask that we would take time and you would speak to us during these days. Help us to journey this week with the followers of Jesus, with the disciples of Jesus. Help us to walk this week with Jesus. Help us to see the power in the moments as he shared the Last Supper with his disciples. Help us to see the power in the moment as he served the disciples and taught us to do the same. Help us to see the ugliness of sin placed upon Jesus on that cross by the sin of humanity. And help us to see your forgiveness represented there. And ultimately, as we come to Easter, may we see on Easter Sunday that you show that death does not have the final word. That your kingdom does not die within that tomb but is made alive through the resurrection of Jesus and the Holy Spirit living through each and every one of our lives. Help us to be resurrection people. Living out your kingdom in this world here and now today. And it's your name that we pray. Amen.